Go ahead and have a seat. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 2. As we continue in our series, will the real Christians please stand up? That's where we are. Um, And that's what we're working on. And we're exploring the validating marks of true Christianity. And John has a goal that he wrote in 5.13, 1 John 5.13, that the goal is this, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Today's message is um, deception breakers. In verse 26 of 1 John 2, John's going to communicate to us that there are those in the world and there are those even in the church. Did you hear that? Even in the church, there are those who want to deceive us. Now, for a working definition, I'm going to give you this definition, okay? That deception is the act of causing someone to believe something that is not true. What John wants us to know is that there are people out there in the world and there are people that are trying to deceive us, even in the church. In other words, they're trying to get us say things to us and try to get us to believe things that are not true. Now, I was going to play around with you, um, like with hypnosis. Okay, so I'm going to do this. And so, um, everyone, look into the wheel. Everybody, look into the wheel. You're, don't look at me, look into the wheel. Up there, look into the wheel, look into the wheel. You are getting sleepy. And you might be like, no, I'm not. I have three cups of coffee. No, you're getting sleepy. Gas prices aren't rising. You're better off today than you were two years ago. Okay, I'm going to stop with that. I'm going to stop with that. There are people out there in the world and there are people in the church, John wants us to know, that are trying to deceive you, trying to tell you that this is true when it's not. Now, I had a lot more playing to do, I was going to do, but I came across a story this week that I have to share with you. So you all know who the name Gavin Newsom, you all know who Gavin Newsom is. Gavin Newsom's the governor of California. Big responsibility. Well, I found out that he has, he has launched a billboard campaign, not just in California, but nationwide, declaring and advertising, advertising that California is a sanctuary state for abortion. So if your state made it illegal to abort babies, come to California, we'll do it for you. Come to our place because we love you. And the way he does this on the billboard is he invokes the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 12 when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. I also found out that on Thursday, just this past Thursday, he made a bill, put a bill into practice in California, making California a sanctuary state for adolescent sex change. If your, if your state will not allow this to happen, then you need to just come to California and you can bring your parents and get your sex change. So 
I have never done this before, um, but I'm going to do it if it, with your permission. Okay, so John MacArthur is the pastor of Grace Church um, in California. John MacArthur's been a target through this whole COVID thing because he said, you can't. We serve Jesus, not Caesar, okay? We, we, we're going to do what the Lord calls us to do. John MacArthur's been a faithful man of God and a faithful preacher for so many years. He's 83 years old. And he writes an open letter to Governor Gavin Newsom on all of this that's going on with California. And with your permission, it's gonna take me about three or four minutes to read to you his letter. You wanna hear what he had to say? Now, here's the crazy thing, you guys. This is just, this is like New Testament. This is like the Bible in real time, really happening. This is like John MacArthur is confronting the governor, Gavin Newsom, just like John the Baptist confronted Herod with sleeping with his brother's wife. Now, in our culture, we'd be like, what's the, what's the big deal? <laughs> Not literally, you know, like we believe it's a big deal. But in our culture, okay, whatever. At least it's not killing babies. John the Baptist came up against Herod publicly, and they threw him in prison, and he actually became, was beheaded because of it. Now, we got to pray for John MacArthur, but listen to this. I want to be, I want to be John MacArthur someday. Sir, he writes, Almighty God says in his word, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people, Proverbs 14. Scripture also teaches that it is the chief duty of any civic leader to reward those who do well and to punish evildoers, Romans 13, 1. You have not only failed in that responsibility, you routinely turn it on its head, rewarding evildoers and punishing the righteous. The word of God pronounces judgment on those who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5.20, and yet many of your policies reflect this unholy, upside-down view of honor and morality. The diabolical effects of our worldview are evident in the statistics of California's epidemics of crime, homelessness, sexual perversions like homosexuality and transgenderism, and other malignant expressions of human misery that stem directly from corrupt public policy. I don't need to itemize or elaborate on the many moral decisions you have perpetrated against God and the people of our state, which have only exacerbated these problems. Nevertheless, my goal in writing is not to contend with your politics, but rather to plead with you to hear and heed what the word of God says to men in your position. Let all kings bow before him, all nations serve him, Psalm 72, 11. It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts, for a throne is established on righteousness, Proverbs 16, 12. What God said to Cyrus is a truth you should take to heart, Governor Newsom. I am the Lord and there is no other. Beside me there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other, Isaiah 45. In mid-September, you reveal to the entire nation how thoroughly rebellious against God you are when you sponsored billboards across America promoting the slaughter of children whom he created in the womb, Psalm 139. You further compounded the wickedness of that murderous campaign with a reprehensible act of gross blasphemy against the Lord Jesus, quoting his very words from Mark 12, 31, that is the love your neighbor as yourself. As if you could somehow twist his meaning and, 
arrogate his name in favor of butchering unborn infants. You use the name and the words of Christ to promote the credo of Molech, Leviticus 20, verse 1. It would be hard to imagine a greater sacrilege. Furthermore, you chose words from the lips of Jesus without admitting that in the same moment, he gave the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength, Mark 12, 30. You cannot love God as he commands while aiding in the murder of his image bearers. Psalm 50, verse 16 speaks to people who pervert the word of God and for their own sinful ends. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recount my statutes and to take my covenant in, my mouth, in your mouth? If you hate discipline and you cast my words behind you, when you see a thief, you are pleased with him and you associate with adulterers. You let your mouth loose in evil and you harness your tongue for deceit. There are people in our world, there is an entire satanic system in our world right now. And there are people in the church of Jesus Christ right now who want to deceive you, who want you to try to believe something that is not true. And it's bad enough, you guys, um, to be deceived or duped into wrongful thinking about our life and life's realities and our culture and our community or our well-being on the planet. But hear me, how terrifying would it be to show up in heaven someday thinking, I'm totally getting in. Only to find out that somehow you had been deceived about that. That you had been taught something, and so you thought some things about your eternal destination that weren't true. How horrible would that be on that day? Jesus actually speaks to this in Matthew chapter 7, where he says, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, very excited, by the way. Remember, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name. In fact, we did some amazing things in your name. And Jesus says, I'm gonna look at them on that day and say, get away from me. You who break God's laws, I never knew you. John's goal in our text today is, I don't want you to be deceived. I don't want you thinking the things that are untrue about eternal life. I want you to know the truth because it is the truth that sets us free. Look at verse 26 of 1 John chapter two. He says, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, those who want to deceive you. And what John's gonna do, we're gonna, we're gonna explore three deception-breaking truths in this passage. And I wanna just jump right in right now. So here's the first one, okay? On your notes, here's the first one. The last hour is here. This is the first deception-breaker that John wants us to understand. We as Christians, remember, he's writing this to Christians, those who believe, those who are in Christ. Verse 18 says this. 
Dear children, the last hour is here. Don't let anyone deceive you into thinking that it's not. That's what he's saying to us. There are those who want to deceive you, but I'm telling you, the last hour is among us. It's here. Now, what does he mean, the last hour is here? We've, we spent quite a bit of time on this earlier in the year. Um, but let's go back to it for just a second because we need to know what he means. Now, we're in a period of time called the church age, the period of time um, from when Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives into heaven until the time that he returns and sets his feet back on the Mount of Olives is called the church age, and we're smack dab in the middle of the church age. This is the age of grace. This is when salvation is free. This is when salvation is for everyone. This is when you can come to the Lord. It's in a beautiful time to be living. But this is also referred to in many places in the Bible. In fact, most places in the Bible, this last hour is referred to as the last days. But curiously, John calls it the last hour. And if what John is saying is true, is what John's saying true? Are you sure? Are you sure it's not just his opinion and so we're like listening to it and reading and going, well, I don't know, maybe we're not in this, the last hour. I don't know. Can you really prove that we're in the last hour? Can I just say something to you? If the Holy Spirit of God inspired John to write down that we're in the last hour in 1 John 2, 18, then guess what? We're in the last hour. It's true. Because the Holy Spirit inspired John to write it, and if it's in the Bible, there better be a big amen coming here. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. Because everything in the Bible is true. This is God's holy, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, preserved word. And when we open it up and we read John telling the church that the last hour is here, you walk out of here going to each other, guess what? The last hour is here. And if it was, if John 2,000 years ago was writing, dear children, the last hour is here, then you and I need to be going, ah, the last hour is here. And if it's, (laughs) if it's, (laughs) I love you guys so much. If it is true that the last hour is here, then I want to ask this question. What time is it? If the last hour is here, that means we've got 60 minutes left. Tick-tock, tick-tock, tick-tock. How many minutes do we have left? 45? 30? 15? In my study this week, there are some preachers, there are some theologians they say we're in the last minute. We're in the last five minutes. We're, we're, we're right at the end of the last hour. And we can, what's the difference between now and, and John? Because of the acceleration of prof, prophetic um, signs that we can see that are going to happen, that Jesus said are going to happen. We studied all that earlier in the year. Paul Roten, are you okay so far? <laughs> because it's going to get worse. Now, Paul wrote this to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, and this is the same time period that John was writing 1 John, right? So in the last days, in this last hour, there will be very difficult times for people will love only themselves and their money and they will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from these kinds of people. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. My friends, listen to me. These are the people that are wanting to deceive us. These supposed teachers oppose the truth. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew chapter 24 when he writes, when he spoke, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Anybody watching the news? Are you nervous? Are you afraid of global destruction? Are you afraid of atomic explosions? Anybody old enough to remember like drills we used to do in elementary school where we had to like climb under the desk? Okay, if an atomic bomb comes, the desk isn't going to help you. It's, standing in a doorway is not going to help you. Are we worried? Yes, no, yes, no. Are we worried, children of God? No, we are not. How can you say that, Phil? Now, I gotta tell you, there's just a little bit inside of me that's, that's anxious about it. You know, I don't wanna die. I don't want to suffer. I don't want my children to suffer. I don't want my grandchildren to suffer. But we are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then you know what happens at the end. If you're in Christ and this thing is happening and this thing is coming and it's racing upon us in the last days here, you don't need to be worried because God has never failed and God has never let his people down and God has always provided for his own and he won't start now not taking care of his people. You don't have to be worried about all of that. But it's coming. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Nations will go to war against other nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be famines and earthquakes all over the world. But hang on, for this only the beginning of the birth pains, there is more to come. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. People will betray and hate each other, even among family members. And sin will be rampant everywhere. And the love of many will grow cold. Wow, wow. Wow, what time is it, brothers and sisters? Listen to me. Jesus said, Jesus said, when you see these things happening, beginning to happen, go dig a hole somewhere and hide. No, lift up your head, child of God. Look up because your salvation is right around the corner. That's an exciting time to be living. And you might be like, great, Phil, I'm in. Tell us how much time is left. I don't know. No one can know the time. But I do know this. Here's here's an answer for you. We are so 
very much closer to the end than 2,000 years ago when John penned these words. And the signs are all around us and increasingly so, and we should be saying, praise the Lord. Dear children, John says, the last hour has come. Children of God need to keep one eye on Jesus and what he wants us to do and keep the other eye on the clock because we're right near the end. In fact, 2 Peter 3, 11 says this, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? For our context today, if people are trying to deceive you and this world is trying to deceive you into thinking that they've got all the time in the world, how should we be living? If we're seeing things get worse and worse and worse in our world, how should we be living? That's the, an that's the question. So what's the answer? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. And some of you might be going like, wait, wait, wait. I have some calls to make. Make them. Make them today. I, I, I have some, some wrongs I need to make right. Go do it and do it today. Because we're in the last hour. Well, Phil, I, I have some sins to confess. Do it today. Stop right now. Go find a spot somewhere or do it right where you're sitting right now and confess your sin to the Lord. He will forgive you. He will hear you. Don't put it off because the hour is here. The last hour is here. I have some forgiveness to give. Get up right now and walk out and go take care of it. Yeah, but it's right across the aisle. I haven't looked at that guy for months because it's right across the aisle. Get up and go make it right. Did you know that that's biblical? The scripture says that if you're kneeling at the altar and you're, you're offering your sacrifice to God and while you're doing that, you remember that you have a problem with your brother, the Bible says, leave your sacrifice, get up and go make it right with your brother and then come back and worship me. Brothers and sisters, dear children, the last hour is here. Don't let anyone deceive you. Here it is. Serve your family. Share your faith. Spend your money like tomorrow you're going to heaven. If, why do I have to qualify? I don't have to qualify that, right? Like, I'm not talking about being stupid and like just sell everything. Jesus is coming tomorrow. Some people have done that. Like, that's not what we're talking about. Hug your wife and children. Preach the sermon like it might be your last. Live your life, here it is, live your life like it's your last minute on earth. How should that change us? How will that change you? You get together in your life groups tonight and this week, and when you're sitting at the table with your children, start asking that question. How are we going to live, you guys? How will things be different in our lives? What adjustments will we make if we know tomorrow Jesus is coming back? 
because we're right here at the end and this is John's message. Don't let anybody fool you into thinking you have unlimited time because you don't. Let me just lovingly speak to some of you that are sitting in this room and are visiting with us online wherever you are that don't know Jesus. And maybe you have had this in your mind. Yeah, I'll do that next week or I'll do that tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The, the, the last hour is here and that truth applies to you who do not know the Lord. And your time is running out in this church age when you can come to Jesus. Can I finish the letter? You okay? I'm totally over time already. I don't even think I can end this message. So I'll figure it out when we get to the end, okay? I'm picking up where I left off in the letter because this is what is at the heart of John MacArthur. Because you might read that and go, man, it sounds pretty hateful, Phil. Not very nice. He's not very being very nice. The Governor Newsom was trying to kill a bunch of babies. This is the very next sentence. My concern, Governor Newsom, is that your own soul lies in grave eternal peril. Each one of us will give an account of himself to God, Romans 14. One day, not very long from now, you will face that reality. Nothing is more certain. It is appointed for men to die once and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9, 27. You will stand in the presence of the holy God who created you, who is your judge, and he will demand that you give an account for how you have flouted his authority in your governing and how you have twisted his own holy word to rationalize it. As you look over the precipice of eternity, what will your answer be? When you look ahead of you and see that nothing awaits you but eternal misery, the just punishment for your sins, what will all the clever rationalizations and political talking points avail for you then? And by then, it will be too late for any remedy or redemption. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. My plea to you, sir, is that you would not let it come to that that you would not go to that day of judgment apart from receiving forgiveness and righteousness through faith in Christ alone. In Psalm 50, after rebuking the wicked for uttering God's words in a profane way, scripture makes this promise. Consider this, you who forgot God, lest I tear you in pieces and there will be none to deliver. He who comes to me and offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving glorifies me and he who orders his way, I shall bring salvation to them. So there is salvation for those who repent. Christ purchased full redemption for all who will turn from wickedness and forsake their evil thoughts and actions and trust fully in him as Lord and Savior. Our church and countless Christians nationwide are praying for your full repentance. Please respond to the gospel. Forsake the path of wickedness you have pursued all your life. Turn to Christ, ask for, for forgiveness, and use your office to advance the cause of righteousness as is your duty instead of undermining it as has been your pattern. And then he ends with this from Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Governor Newsom, 
Now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. We're in the last hour. The last hour is here. The Bible says that if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. Open yourself to the truth. Open yourself to his word. Reach out by faith to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, the last hour is here, and you might ask, well, how can we know for sure? Look at verse 18 again. Dear children, the last hour is here. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Now, he's talking about two things. So the way we know the last hour is here is because there are many Antichrists have come, but there is the Antichrist is coming, and many Antichrists have come. So there are two things that he's talking about here. The first is the Antichrist, the person. There is coming a time. The book of Revelation talks about it and tells us about it, where the Antichrist, the person, the Antichrist, is going to rise to power. That's the person. And then there's the spirit, those who, who possess the spirit of the Antichrist. And there are many Antichrists that will rise up. So let me just quickly talk to you about the person, the Antichrist. Scripture teaches that at the end of all things, during the seven years of tribulation on the earth, a person will rise to power, and he, don't miss it, will deceive all the nations of the world. He will deceive everyone into thinking that he has come to save the world, that he is the Messiah. Now, the world will be in global crisis at that point due to the Ezekiel 38 war and the rapture of the church. And this Antichrist will rise to power as a savior, and he will establish a one-world government, a one-world government, with him as the ruler, with a one-world currency and economy, and a one-world religion with the whole world believing that he is, and it's a lie, okay? He'll have the whole world to deceive everyone into believing the lie that he is the Messiah. Even Israel will believe this and sign a covenant with him or a contract with him, and everyone will be required to take his mark upon their bodies, 666, and bow and worship to him or die. That's coming. That's the person, the Antichrist. It's coming in the future. But there is something that's already here. John says, we know the last hour is here because already many such Antichrists have appeared. And this is speaking of the spirit of the Antichrist. And what John is speaking of, the multiplication and escalation of Antichrist messaging. Are we ever living in that world today? 2 Timothy 3.13, in the last days, Paul says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, don't miss it, deceiving and being deceived. This is what John is talking about. Jesus, again, in Matthew 24.4 says, watch out that no one deceives you. There are those who are trying to deceive you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. So what John is talking about is there is a person coming, but the way we know we're in the last hours because there are many antichrists with antichrist messaging coming our way. Satan knows that we are late in the hour, in the last hour, so the game is on for the souls of men. And we can see this escalation like never before in our lifetime. 
He's doing all he can through many forms of antichrist to draw people away from the truth, and it's working. Look at verse 19. These people left our churches, but they never really belonged to us. Otherwise, they would have stayed with us. When they left, it proved that they did not belong to us. Can I just tell you, I'll get into this later on, because uh, I, I just, I wanna get to the end of this thing today. <laughs> I'm really struggling here, but um, I just wanna say this, everything we do here at FBC, everything we do, and every evangelical church ought to have this at their goal. On purpose, we preach the truth of God's word. Everything we do reflects the truth of God's word in every aspect of this ministry all the time with the goal of equipping true believers to grow in Christ. We aren't concerned, we don't care about filling. It is not our desire to fill this place, all of these pews with religious people who wanna feel good about themselves because they did something religious, right? Are you with me? We're serious about faithfully following Jesus no matter what, no matter where, no matter when, no matter how, amen? We learned that last week over and over and over again. That's been in my head all week long, thank you, Steve. But it's so true. That's what we're producing. That's what the Church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be producing. But not so for those who don't know him. There are those among us who leave us because they are not of us. I came across this in my study, which is an awesome quote. The proof of genuine conversion is a continuing abiding faith. I'm not talking about people who decide I don't like the music or some other philosophical thing that they do at First Baptist, so we're gonna go over to some other evangelical church. It's not like everybody who leaves First Baptist is unsaved. That's not what he's talking about. What we're talking about is people who abandon their faith, people who walk away from Christ. If they walk away from Christ, you know why? Did they lose their salvation? No, they were never saved to begin with. They left us because they are not of us. That's the truth that John wants us to understand here. Some of you might be saying, you know, Pastor Phil, I come and listen to you and it seems to make sense, but then I go home and watch Dr. Phil. And you know, he's a doctor. And no offense, but you're not. Sometimes he says things that contradict what you're teaching and vice versa. How can I know who to listen to? How can I know who's telling me the truth? Especially when I hear things like this, where John says, there are some among us that are trying to deceive us. There are pastors in churches that are telling people things that are not true about what God says about eternity. And people are listening. And it breaks my heart because they don't know they're being deceived. They're trusting in the man or the teacher or the professor or a parent that are teaching them the wrong things about eternal life. And they may think, if I come and sit in church and I give money and I go and serve at Officer Appreciation Day, I'm getting in. And that is not true. How many religions, how many religions, and how many priests and how many pastors 
And how many bishops have told people, if you do good things, you'll get into heaven, you'll earn your way into heaven. That is a lie from Satan. And if he can get you to believe that, then you think you're being godly. And you'll go through your whole life and you'll get to the end and Jesus will say, I never knew who you were because you had a false sense. Somebody deceived you. How do I know, Phil? How can I trust what you're saying, Phil? How can I trust you? You're, you're knocking all these other pastors and priests and bishops and elders. And how can I trust you? Well, there's only one way. If I start preaching anything but God's word, then kick me out. Run me out on a rail. Try to help me first, though, okay? Try to help me first. <laughs> Deception breaker number two, and I don't, I think, I don't even know, I can get through it. But anyway, it, here it is. I can't wait for you to hear this, and John can't wait for you to hear this. The reason you, have, the way you know the truth is because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the truth is in you. Amen. The truth is in you. Verse 19, John says, there are some who walk away from us. But verse 20, he goes right into, but you are not like that. For the Holy One has given you his spirit and all, you, all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you, not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. Here it is. You can know the truth all by yourself. Jesus said in John 14, verse 26, just before he went to the cross, he said to his disciples, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He went on to tell them that he will not just be given to you and will help you, but he will reside inside of you. He will take up residence in our hearts and our minds to do the work of teaching and reminding and convicting and praise the Lord on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, we see the Holy Spirit come and indwell the believers. And from that time on, every person who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and is saved, it receives the Holy Spirit of God into their heart, into their life, and he makes us his temple and he dwells inside of us in order to teach us and enlighten us Every time, my brothers and sisters, when you pick up God's word, it is the Holy Spirit who enlightens and teaches you. Every time you come to church and you pick up the word of God and you open it up, it is the Holy Spirit who enlightens you and speaks to you. Not your pastor, not your Bible professor, not your mom and dad, not your friend down the street. They are vehicles for the truth. I'm a vehicle for the truth, but I can't enlighten you to the truth. I can't change your heart. I can't convict your heart. Only the Holy Spirit can can do that. And every time you open up God's word, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Supernatural power is waiting for every child of God who will open up the word. And every time you open the word, he will speak to you. Every single time. If he's not in you, then you have a real problem. It means you aren't in Christ. But John's messaging to us is you can know the truth. Look at verse 26. I'm writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray, but you have received the Holy Spirit. 
And he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true, for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true, and you can trust it, and it is not a lie. You can feed yourself on God's word, my friends. Crack it open every single day and hear from the Spirit. In fact, we believe success in any ministry, in our ministry, can be measured by how many congregants have a full understanding of this. Hey, I can study God's word for myself. I can read it. I can learn from it. I can know it. I can believe it. I can follow it. I can apply it all by myself because it's truth. And I have the spirit of truth living inside of me. That's how we know we're saved. Does the spirit speak to you? If he doesn't, then you're not. He goes on in verse 22, and who is a liar? Well, here's the answer. Anyone who says that Jesus Christ is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. Anyone who denies the Son doesn't have the Father. But anyone who acknowledges the Son has the Father. So who is the liar? Anyone, he says. Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ and anyone who denies the Father, those are the liars. They are the antichrist. But I love the end of the verse. But anyone who acknowledges, that word means confesses. Anyone who acknowledges or confesses the Son has the Father. And there it is, my friends. There's the life-changing decision to follow Christ. I want to end with this, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's the acknowledgement. Confession is just saying the same thing that God says about it. If you're a sinner, you just need to confess your sin and you acknowledge your sins to the Lord and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. This is how we receive eternal life in Jesus Christ. And he goes on to end in verse 24 and 25 talking about remaining faithful in what you have been taught. And what he means by that is remain faithful to the gospel truth that changed your lives and gave you access to the Father and made you a recipient of the Holy Spirit. This is the challenge that I want you to talk about in your life groups. This is the challenge to stay in the word of God, always staying true to the word of God because it not only guides us and it not only brings us life, but it helps us remain in fellowship with the Son and the Father. And it is this fellowship that we enjoy, the eternal life that he promised. For those of you note takers, here's number three. The last thing is this, eternal life is right now. I love that. The minute you gave your heart to Jesus through confession, your eternal life in Jesus began. It's not something we're waiting for, it's not something we're hoping for, we are living in it right now. And Jesus said, and and John said, it's what Jesus promised. John 10, 10. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. John eleven twenty five. 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Here's some good news. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. So lift up your heads, brothers and sisters in Christ. The last hour is here. You possess the truth and cannot be deceived because you have the Holy Spirit. And your glorification is right around the corner. Let's take our communion elements right now. And I just want to say this. All of this truth that we receive today, 
is made possible because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for our sins, because he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, we can have a relationship with him. We can know the truth. And the world and all of its system and all of Satan's system can come against us and try to deceive us, but they will, they will have no success because we're in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did for us. And so we take the bread. And when we eat it, we remember the Lord and his sacrifice for us. And we take the cup. that just simply represents his blood. Without the shedding of blood, you cannot be forgiven. Without the shedding of blood, you cannot enter the presence of almighty, holy God. The blood has been poured over us. God sees us, the Father sees us, not for who we are, but who we are in Christ. And the blood covers us and brings forgiveness of sins. And so how thankful are we as we remember the Lord together as we drink. Stand with me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for making a way. Father, thank you for sending your son, for sacrificing the one who's closest and dearest to your heart so that we can be saved. Thank you for calling our name and sending us your Holy Spirit to enlighten our minds and enlighten our hearts to truth and to bring salvation to us. If you're listening to my voice right now and in this quiet moment, you are convicted in your heart and the Holy Spirit is making it clear to you that you do not know the Lord, we want to help you with that. After the service, we're here to help you. If you're wherever you are listening to us online, please reach out to us. Our prayer team is right now waiting for you and we wanna respond to you if you respond to us by responding to the Holy Spirit. We wanna help you come to faith in Jesus Christ. But Lord, help us all. Help us all to live for you and to have our heads up waiting for our salvation to come. We thank you. In Jesus' name.